This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan on Washat, Nate Klaus, and guys, it, it feels like things have Kind of slowed down. I mean, I feel like now we've officially hit the offseason. I told my wife earlier this week, I think Tuesday was the first day I, I didn't really feel like I had to worry about something. With, with a coaching move, a roster move, a transfer portal thing. Um, but I, I think things have at least quieted down um, as we go into spring football here at the end of March. I mean, Nebraska is going to have now a good six more weeks of winter workouts um, until they open up spring ball at the end of March on the final week of March. But uh, the big announcement, as, as many know listening already, that Bill Bush is coming back to Nebraska as a defensive analyst, not a special teams analyst. Um, and then Keenan Lowe is coming from UCLA to be an offensive analyst. Essentially, he'll be the assistant wide receivers coach is, is probably the best way to dub that move. Uh, for Nebraska, and then Marcus Castro-Walker comes into um, that player uh, development role, um, personnel role, I guess I'll call it, and, and it's a position they've really never had before. Ron Brown had the title, uh, but Ron Brown worked more with specific running backs and other position groups at Nebraska. He didn't really work in that role. So um, that's going to be probably the gist of the coaching movement we see on Scott Frost's staff here over this offseason, and um, it's safe to say, guys, the Bill Bush move, <laughs> it won the Internet. Um, as I think in our weekly chat on Tuesday, we probably answered 35 Bill Bush questions. Nate, and I'll go to you first because you, you know Bill Bush. You worked under him. You were his recruiting assistant many years ago. Uh, but <laughs> how many ways can we answer questions about Bill Bush? We found that out on Tuesday. Yeah, we, we sure did. I mean, um, He's uh, he's not a full-time coach, so he won't be coaching on the field during practice or, or during the game. He's not going to be able to recruit on the road. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know how many different ways we got asked you know, what, what if he'll be able to do either one of those two things. But, um, you know, I, I think it's, this this worked out perfectly for all parties involved, in my opinion. You're, you're getting a native Nebraskan, someone who's – um, who started his coaching career at Nebraska under Tom Osborne uh, as an intern or a GA back in the 90s. Uh, obviously, he, he worked, um, you know, on Bill Callahan's staff. And then, um, you know, and he's, been in the, he's been in the Big Ten at several different schools too, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Rutgers. Um, you know, he's, he's worked under Urban Meyer and Ed Orgeron and, and, you know, a lot of, you know, Gary Anderson, a lot of good coaches, um, you know, I, and he's familiar with the three-four defense, you know, working with Dave Aranda and uh, you know, it all in a bunch of other stops too. So, I mean, it's a perfect fit. He's a really good recruiter. Um, now, obviously, his uh, you know what he'll be able to do is limited here at, at Nebraska, but it, it won't stop him from maybe being able to reach out to some contacts or or at least maybe give some ideas or, or have influence over what they're doing. So, I mean, it's it's a perfect deal. Plus, LSU is paying the large majority of his. Four hundred and fifty-seven thousand yeah. in Nebraska. I think he's only paying them forty. Uh, I think it was thirty-six. Yeah. Thirty-six. So yeah. they they and, and there's a they're basically paying him the least they can get away with, yeah. like the lowest analyst salary they're allowed to pay. So LSU will pay him over four hundred and ten thousand a year. Yeah, I mean it's perfect. Well, what I like about it is you know he's a perfect combination of what you're looking for in that role in the sense that he understands everything about the job and what Nebraska is and uh, all that comes with this program, given his past experience here. But also, he's someone that is outside of Scott Frost's bubble. I mean, you know, a lot of the, some of the other hires, Frost's brother, they're guys he's known for a long time, worked with before. I mean, he's never worked with Bill Bush. I'm sure they, they met each other and know each other, but uh, he comes from a completely different tree and background that uh, gave him a lot of different experiences and perspectives on stuff that I think he's going to be a guy that can have a different voice that can maybe chime in with some different uh, opinions. And with his experience and his background, I think it's, it's a guy that you're going to listen to. And I think that's one of the reasons why he was brought on. Yeah, and it will be interesting if he'll even help with special teams, I, I get the the feeling nobody really wants that special teams analyst title where they, they have that 
all those responsibilities where they're the fall man like Rutledge was this last year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they just give that title to a full-time coach and then other people help in that role. But that still needs to be addressed. I mean, what are they going to do with special teams? Who is the guy that's going to run that unit as Nebraska really is one of the few Power 5 programs since the NCAA that has gone to 10 assistants that does not have a full-time coach on that with a title? Well, the guy that immediately jumps to mind, you know, Mike Dawson, he's the guy that we mentioned on the chat. He was the Boston College special teams coach from 2009 to 2011. So he has experience handling that element of the game. But you get the sense that that's, you know, maybe he doesn't want that full-time coordinator role just because of, you know, the the pressure that comes with that. I mean, there's a lot that you have to cover that all falls on your shoulders. If your coverage unit doesn't work, your kicking game, your punting game, your return game, uh, all that falls back on the guy that, that has that coordinator title. So, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot that, you know, you would want to maybe disperse around with that with your staff. But it seems like, Mike Dawson is probably a guy that could take on a, a bulk of that responsibility given his experience with that position. And, and just because you carry that title doesn't mean that you do all the work. Uh, I mean, I still think regardless of how this ends up, um, you know, working out or, or however they end up, you know, kind of tabbing the special teams coordinator, I think that it's going to be a, a team effort, you know, whether it whether it would have been a, a special teams analyst or, or whether they go, uh, you know, uh, giving somebody a full-time coach, the special teams coordinator title, it, it's still going to be a, a team effort. But yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it certainly feels like everyone in the room is going, oh, no, I'm good. I'm, I don't, I don't, you know what, I don't need that title. You know, and then they bring in Keenan Lowe and Marcus Castro Walker. And I think the big thing here, guys, is the diversity they've added to the staff. I mean, they they needed to, I think, add some more diversity. Um, Having Keenan Lowe uh, compliment a a guy like Matt Lubick, I think that's perfect for the wide receiver room. You've got a lot of young players in that room. He's played receiver for Scott Frost, for Matt Lubick. Um, And I think he's going to be perfect. And he feels like a guy that – five, seven years from now will be, I mean, maybe quicker than that. I, I shouldn't say five, seven years, two, three years from now, he could be a full-time power five level assistant. Well, and you just think about what that move means for the guys on top of him uh, with Lubick. He can take more of a overseeing coordinator responsibility and not have to balance both position coach and coordinator. And as a result, Frost can take on more of a CEO role where he's maybe not as uh, involved in the you know play calling coordinator aspect and it gives more of that responsibilities to Lubick. So I think there's a ripple effect by bringing in a guy like that that can be, you know, essentially, uh, you know, a, a key part of the position coaching area, that receiving core. And then that opens up more time for Lubick to take on uh, a more kind of overseeing role of the offense than Frost and overseeing role of the entire team. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, and by all accounts, he's a, he's a, you know, big time, you know, rising coach. So, I mean, if you can if you can kind of capture him now, um, you know, as we all saw, Lubick is is going to be having an eye on you know eventually taking that next step, and you know if and when that happens, maybe this is something where Keenan Lowe then can move up and and become the the full time wide receiver coach. But but you know maybe the guy outside of Bill Bush, maybe the one I'm I'm most interested by is Castro Walker in that player development role. I, I think that you know if if you guys have watched the YouTube video of him when he was at Arizona State talking about what he does. Um, I mean, he's very passionate about it. You know, a lot of times you get a you get somebody in that player development role, and they're they're a coach, and like they, Chris Brassfield. Yeah, they want to be a coach. They don't they don't necessarily like Chris Brassfield is in charge of in in state recruiting at one time for Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. He didn't care about. <laughs> he didn't even know. He like, hey, Chris, where's Beatrice at? He he wouldn't have known no. where Beatrice was at. But he, he has no aspiration to coach. He wants to help. Uh, build relationships with with student athletes and help develop them not not athletically but you know from a from a personal standpoint and and I think that's a big deal when if you have someone like that um, you know as we all have seen there's a lot of a lot of people have left the program and and I think a lot of it has to do with not maybe not feeling comfortable in Lincoln or um, you know, getting homesick or, or whatever, you know, everyone goes through a rough patch when they, when they leave home. And, and I think if you have someone in that role who can kind of reach out and have you, you have a, a relationship with them, I think that could help uh, down the road. So I, I'm interested in to see kind of how, how that role emerges and, and kind of uh, goes forward here. All right, guys, it's officially now become poll list season. Uh, Nebraska comes in 
pretty favorable on a uh, power index poll on ESPN. We'll discuss that next and more. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. Guys, all right, I hate to go into list season already, but it is list season now. And uh, Husker fans, as we know, get very excited, very optimistic about list because a lot of times Nebraska usually comes in good on list, whether it's about past rankings and um, total wins and this and that. Well, ESPN came out with what was their first index poll of the year where um, they factored in last year's results, what you return, um, what you've done in recruiting, kind of a power formula of things. And Nebraska came in at 30th, um, which on their schedule, though, they play number three, Oklahoma, number four, Ohio State, number nine, Wisconsin, number 16, Iowa. By the way, Iowa I mean, I know, I know they're going to be good, but I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think they're number 16 because I don't think their quarterback's that good. Um, and number 23, Michigan, number 31, Minnesota. Uh, 40 was Purdue. So Nebraska right there, just based on that number, they're ranked higher than seven of their opponents. They would be seven and five. And obviously we know <laughs> the season's not that simple. It's not that easy um, because that 20 to 50th, range there's not a lot of separation between those teams and when you do dumb crap like Nebraska does um, and I'm trying to keep my voice in a family (laughs) a family voice here on the show um, you lose those games against teams that are ranked right near you and I mean that's that's really what 2021 is going to be all about for Nebraska can they eliminate all the dumb things they've done that have hurt them the last couple of years yeah I mean it's been the story for far too long here is not only uh, the opponent Nebraska is going up against, but Nebraska uh, being able to not beat itself uh, and do the constant uh, shooting of their own feet, uh, whether it be penalties, turnovers, uh, you know, defensive breakdowns where guys are completely in the wrong spot or drop passes or uh, whatever it may be, some snaps over the quarterback's head. I mean, those are the types of things that, I mean, even like average football teams don't do. Uh, and until that stuff get fixed, it doesn't matter what the recruiting classes look like, what what the the scheme changes look like, what the coaching staff looks like. Uh, they will, Nebraska will be what it has been for the past three to four years, and that's got to be priority number one. And you know, it's up to this coaching staff to buckle down and get that stuff under control. I mean, a lot of that stuff is just you know mental between the years. And as a coaching staff, that that is your responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, it, with some of that stuff, it, it's like, okay, well, this is so simple, um, and you're coming off your best week of practice ever, but it, yet it looks like you didn't practice at all. You know, it, it's it's frustrating, and, and I'm sure that whatever metrics they they used to gather that list didn't didn't include some of those uh, those uh, you know. <laughs> stub your own foot type of type of moves that Nebraska tends to pull, but I mean the wacky sack song, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you can if you can fix some of the, some of your self inflicted wounds, like <laughs> then hey, maybe maybe we can get back to beating the teams that you're supposed to beat over the head. <laughs> he dropped the football. Oh, backwards pass fumble. Another targeting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, I had to do that. There, there have been a couple of times, Robin. We could have kept going for the full song, I think. <laughs> there have been a couple of times where Robin in the press box has, and I have played that song. Oh, yeah. The wacky. We don't even do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Now, now it's just kind of we're numb to it now. But, like, you know, when they'd have like eight turnovers in a game or eight fumbles, <laughs> just play that during the game. And usually it was a, a fitting soundtrack for what we were watching. <laughs> Oh, he, he fumbled the interception. <laughs> oh, God. Just get down, McKeven. <laughs> but, yeah, it will be interesting. So back to these rankings. I mean, no surprise, Oklahoma, Ohio State, 3-4. I mean, Nebraska's going to play two college football playoff teams next year. Nobody in America is going to probably do that next year when you think about it. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable that, of course, Oklahoma is going to be at their pinnacle, um, you know, when you look at this schedule – for Nebraska, Alabama's one, Clemson's two, Oklahoma, Ohio State are three, four, Oregon's five, Georgia's six. So just right there alone, Nebraska will play the toughest schedule in the country um, based on these numbers. 
they got a number nine, a number 16, a number 23 on there. Yeah, and that's why it's hard, you know, for uh, all the potential improvements Nebraska can make, you know, going into year four with hopefully a relatively normal offseason. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's going to be a lot like, you know, with basketball this year. That, you know, they may be better, but with the competition that's going up against this season, you know, how is that going to be reflected in their final win-loss total? And so, you know, I think this the goal still has to be the bare-bone floor for expectations for this 21 season has to be a winning record, go to a bowl game. But how much further beyond that can they go given the the, the road that they have to travel to, to over the course of the fall? Yeah, just just when you have have seen it all and, and you think, okay, well, they got to catch a break sometime. You know, Scott Frost has dealt with uh, with a pandemic and and um, you know it's it's really it's their backs are kind of against the wall. I need to to get it going. They, they're the gonna, scheduling. Yeah, they're going to catch a yeah they're going to catch a break, right? Well, not not so fast. They they got the the, the most difficult schedule in the country, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got to maybe the the biggest improvement this team has to make or or worry about this off season is uh, being you know mentally strong because you're you're going to be going up against it and and if you get you know if things don't go your way in those games that you can't let that ruin the rest of your season. You know what I do like about the schedule those when you look at it on these rankings, Illinois is the lowest ranked team besides Southeast Louisiana, who's not ranked. Uh, but you open with Illinois. They're 83rd with the new coach. So I get it. Brett Bielema has owned Nebraska at Wisconsin. He's had their number. But he, he doesn't have that kind of roster and team anymore. And let me tell you, Nebraska is not going to take Illinois lightly week one this year. I mean, that, that game last year changed the season. And you get a bye week. And then your next lowest-ranked opponent is is Buffalo. And we know Lance Leipold is a great coach. Buffalo has lost a lot of players to the portal and other things. They'll still be a good team. But – your two most favorable games on this ranking list you start out with. So at least you get an opportunity over the first three weeks with a buy in there as well to get your sea legs before you go out to Oklahoma. And I guess we still don't know a hundred percent on what the Illinois situation is going to be with I mean, the fact that uh, all signs are pointing to that thing basically being shut down for Ireland is still listed as Ireland on the schedule. Once that officially does get confirmed, uh, what's that going to do? Are they going to keep it week zero? Are they going to move Illinois it? plays week one? Okay, so they they can't they can't move it to week one because they already have a game week one. Well, then you know I know we discussed this I think last week, but you know November thirteenth, Nebraska's hosting Southeastern Louisiana. Could the Big Ten say, you know what, you're going to go ahead and play a conference game that week instead? No, I, there's a contract in place. I mean, I don't think they can do that with a contract in place with Southeast Louisiana. Well. Either way, uh, as it stands, you know that those first couple games are going to be critical. I think. I mean, to start not only one and zero, but one and zero in conference play, assuming Illinois does stay week week zero, week one, whatever, uh, that's going to be huge. And then all of a sudden, you you're feeling good. You build some momentum against Buffalo. You get a win there at home. Then you know you got an opportunity maybe to do something against Oklahoma. But what I really like though is at the back end of that schedule. I mean, after that road game at Minnesota on the sixteenth. Four of the next or the final five games are at home. You're home for you don't leave your bed in Lincoln for over thirty days. And you do go to Wisconsin, but you know, you have Purdue at home, you have Iowa at home, and then obviously southeastern Louisiana at home. I mean, there's a chance, I think, to finally have a, a favorable back end of the schedule, which Nebraska hasn't had in a long time. Yeah, you, you really have to take advantage of those first couple of games but leading up to Oklahoma though. I, I mean, I think if you if you somehow stumble out of the gates then yeah, things things are going to be really really difficult. But uh, I agree with the revised schedule. I, I like the fact that that they you know get a stretch there where they're at home, um, you know, in, in the, towards the back end of, of the the schedule and the way that that kind of worked out. You know, if you're if you're looking for silver linings with everything, you know, whether you want to talk about the crossovers or you know playing Ohio State and, and Oklahoma this year, I think that might be the silver lining. Yeah, Michigan and Ohio State both play in Lincoln this year. Uh, now Nebraska will be at Wisconsin, but Iowa comes to Lincoln. I mean, it is a we don't know what the fan situation is going to be like capacity wise, but it's going to be a great year for season ticket holders having Michigan, Ohio State, and Wisconsin or excuse me, Iowa all in Lincoln. Yeah, man, especially when you look at uh, you know the, the road games they have to go to in conference play. I mean, at Michigan State, that's not bad. I mean, Minnesota. They're always 
okay, but I don't think that Oklahoma is kind of a, a bucket list trip. I mean, yeah. there will be people that go like my dad and his friends are going on that trip. I mean, there, there's going to be a lot of Nebraska fans for sure. They know Nebraska is going to be a double digit dog on the road, but they're still going to go down there to relive the, the glory days of the big eight and the big it's 12. Nostalgia. But, and so you're able to essentially knock out what, what three road games in your first month of the season, which is gonna be crazy. One home game in the month of September. I don't know what the last time that's happened, but uh, you know that the bit flips on you. I think where it matters more, where you know that that Illinois game, having that wherever it is, uh, I think that that's one that getting that out of the way right out of the gates is is important. And then you know having Michigan State be that other road game, uh, I think it sets up favorably, especially with the fact that you balance it out at home. All right, when we come back, I don't mean to do this to the program, but we are going to talk Nebraska basketball, and that's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, talking Nebraska basketball now as – the Huskers are back, um, but unfortunately, Robin, um, kind of what we expected out of the gates. I mean, this is a team that didn't play for o- almost a month, and you know they get two games underneath their belt. Uh, Nebraska plays Michigan State, and you know, there are some moments where they show toughness, but they look like a team that was rusty, and they lose by 10. They play Minnesota, and there was a stretch where Minnesota missed how many shots? 25 in a row? or I mean, it was a crazy mm-hmm. number like that where you know most Big Ten teams are going to win a game when a team shoots that poorly and Nebraska got it down to six, seven, seven. And you know, they, they did without Teddy Allen and some of the things, but kind of probably what you thought, Robin, I'm guessing um, what this team was going to look like after a long layoff. Well, they were already bad offensively. And then you basically don't do anything for a full month and have maybe five practices from January 10th to February 6th. I mean, that's, that's the result you're going to get. And uh, obviously there's there's rust to, to knock off, but you know all, it's the same flaws that have been plaguing this team all year long. And then, of course, against Minnesota, Teddy Allen gets benched per coach's decision. Um, it was from the sound of things, frustration. Uh, May got the best of them after a uh, disappointing uh, game, first game back against Michigan State where he was like 1 to 10 from the field, three turnovers, and just had a rough night. Anyway, uh, sounds like, um, you know, things are – that's – one that they're going to move on from, but either way, like there's still issues with or without Teddy Allen offensively. And, you know, watching that Minnesota game, you know, John Beeline, former Michigan coach was on the call and he made a lot of really good points when Nebraska actually just like executed simple plays they were effective and they actually looked good, but there were so many instances where you have guys dribbling into two or three defenders, forcing up shots at the rim, taking rush three-pointers that are contested, um, no passes. Uh, it was just like a like they didn't really have a plan offensively. And for them to be this far along in the season, I get that they had a lot of time off. But, again, this sort of stuff was happening before the break. And now it's just even worse because they're, they're now a bad offensive team that's rusty. And – with them having no opportunities to practice now. I mean, basically, they're going to be playing four games a week through the rest of the regular season. And with the mandatory one day off per week that the Big Ten insists on having, even though they've uh, unshuffled or they've shuffled the schedule around <laughs> uh, unprecedented circumstances. I mean, like Nebraska had a couple hours during shoot around for its first on court preparation for the Wisconsin game. I mean, and for them to expect them to get better, because of this, I mean, right now it's all about survival. The rest of the season is just about attrition for these guys and finding ways to stay competitive, keep the effort level up, and try to keep this thing from completely imploding where you have guys totally mentally checking out the rest of the way. You mentioned John Beeline. Has he been – I mean, has he announced a Nebraska game before? Like, I feel like he – I mean, has he been – I don't know. I only watch the road games, so if he's done a home game, I'm not sure. But uh, that's the first one I've noticed. Yeah, it's it's like when you hear him, you're like, why is this guy not coaching right now? It's it's yeah. it'll be interesting to see if he gets himself back in somewhere. Um, oh, yeah, I think it's probably because he doesn't want to. <laughs> you know, just that that Cleveland thing was a disaster with the Cavaliers. When you know every coach wants to coach in the NBA, but he had a good thing going at Michigan, and then now things, Juwan Howard is yeah. Now Juwan's reaping the benefits from that. But uh, yeah, I mean, just hearing a guy like that, like. I mean, he broke it down perfectly for you where uh, he showed exact specific examples of, you know, Nebraska actually doing what Fred Hoiberg wants them to do. 
and it worked. I mean, it was the simplest plays where, you know, guys were actually moving the ball around, creating the open look, and knocking down the shot. He's the king of spacing, though, right? Exactly. And so he understands what Fred wants to do. And, you know, there was points where they have a two-on-one fast break, and the guy with the ball just goes straight at the defender, gets the shot blocked, and it's a turnover. Like, Selfish. That stuff can't happen. And Or when a guy drives into the lane and instead of kicking out to a wide-open three-point specialist on the wing, he jacks it up at the side of the rim, and it's essentially a turnover. I mean, because it's such a bad shot and had no chance of going in. It's listed as a missed shot, but it wasn't really even a, a, a close to a high-percentage look that cost them a possession. And you know every team does those drills, the three-on-two to two-on-one drill that mm-hmm. you do all the way through high school on. I mean, it's like a common basketball drill, so it, it is – surprising when you watch Nebraska that when they have a numbers advantage on the break that these guys don't know how to execute that and I think a lot of it is this team doesn't trust each other uh, and that comes with not having success I mean when you go 400 some days without winning a, a Big Ten basketball game I mean that that wears on you I don't care who you are what level you're playing uh, and with that I think guys are you know they they don't trust each other offensively because I, I think I can't remember who said it earlier this year uh, they said that it was a point where I knew I had to shoot the ball because I didn't know if it was going to get it back. You know, like there, there's no flow off like offensively. There's no like role identity offensively to where every guy's out there trying to win it on their own and try to get theirs. And when you do that sort of stuff, that's exactly what Nebraska's offense is right now. It's a bunch of guys playing selfish basketball that, you know, they don't trust their teammates to a take the good shot or B make the right passes to set them up for good shots. And, that's a that's a recipe for disaster, and it's a real problem that Fred Hoiberg and his staff need to figure out. So, are we looking pretty much Nebraska is going to play about four games a week, yeah, give or take? Like, it, I mean, I, on a seven day week, they're going to go one, three, five, seven, pretty much, yeah. And that's the only way they're going to get to twenty before March 9th. And then obviously March tenth is the start of the Big Ten tournament. Because right now, if you just take what Nebraska has played. Um, there's only 15 total games on the schedule. So there still has to be a way to put five more games in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's games that what we know is Sunday's game at Penn state. That's the, the last confirmed game right now. Now there's other games listed on the schedule, but like the Wisconsin game this week, all of those are subject to change where games are going to get moved around to space things uh, around to where there's at least a 48 hour break, probably if not a back to back with some of these games is because Nebraska is still trying to make up uh, the six games that they had postponed earlier. And, you know, the only way to do that is to just kind of move pieces around and, Nebraska is going to get a lot of unfortunate draws. They're going to play games with zero uh, opportunity to practice or even watch film together, and that's just the nature of the beast. It's it's the situation Nebraska's in, and like I said, you just got to try to keep your head above water and find any semblance of positivity and momentum to build upon for next year. Now they'll play four and seven games a days. I mean, there was a, a year a few years ago when they went to 20 conference games. Remember they played all of them after Christmas? Yep. And there were some crazy stretches like that, but obviously nothing like this. Yeah, I mean, not consistently for five straight weeks. Everybody had like one games. crap yeah. stretch. Where... And then you'd get like a week off. You know, it, and that they changed that when they moved the two early games in December, which you know was pretty good. And I think the thought was to try to make as many as four games uh, in December. Uh, and then that way that opens up your, your January, February even more uh, to give guys a little bit of a break. But... You know, so be it. It's the the year of COVID, and when you're a team that has literally 50% of your tier one personnel test positive in a two week stretch, this is kind of the 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 hole you got to dig yourself out of. All right. Well, lots of Nebraska basketball coverage on HuskerOnline.com as the Huskers play Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and Robin Washett will keep you up to date when we come back. We'll take questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett, taking questions in the mailbag. I know we haven't done a mailbag in a few weeks because, honestly, there's just been so many other things to deal with in the show and talk about. But lots of questions now um, and you know, a lot of recruiting questions here this week, especially about local prospects, Nate. And, and the first question is about Ernest Hausman from Columbus. Um, he's been on a roll with lots of offers, as have many kids around the state. But with the new offers to Ernest Hausman, what is your confidence level on him committing to Nebraska? Well, I, I'm still fairly optimistic that that's going to happen. Um, 
it may it may stretch his recruitment out a bit though because I, I do think that he's going to be taking visits or wanting to take visits and and at least you know do do his due diligence and and do a little research and build some relationships with these other coaching staffs because you only go through the recruiting process once. So, um, I mean, when Arizona State, Michigan, and Boston College come come in and, and offer you a boom, boom, boom without ever having stepped foot in the state, I think, you know, it might, it might give you – Entice a, you. Yeah, it might, it might give you a little, uh, little you know, incentive to be like, okay, let's pump the brakes a little bit and, and see what else comes along. So – uh, I still think it will happen. I think he, I think he'll be a Husker in the end, but I think it's going to prolong his uh, recruitment a little bit. Yeah, more. and I, we can't, you can't blame any of these kids. I mean, if, if you are getting legitimate Power Five offers and you haven't been able to go anywhere, why wouldn't you go take a few trips? I mean, I, I think you owe it to your family and yourself to, to to go through that process. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, next question. What two positions on the team will improve the most in 2021 based on younger? production and for me guys this was a little bit almost easy for me I, I thought wide receiver was one for sure um, and then offensive line I, yeah, I, I think mean, we all have the same answer for that one because they're the two most obvious because I think we all like the running back though yeah I, I think offensive line though I mean you you saw actual like tangible evidence that there's some young players that are really uh, on their way that you know with with a little bit more time a little more time together uh, as a group they, they could be something special. And then wide receiver, I picked them because, one, I think that there's some good young talent to work with, but also I don't know how much worse they could get. I mean, there's only <laughs> only place to go is up. The bar up. is pretty low. Yeah, exactly. So, and you're talking about adding, you know, arguably the best wide receiver in FCS uh, to that group. You you're hopefully are getting Omar Manning in, in that group, and, and maybe he can be what, what we all think, um, you know, what we thought he could be. So – I mean, just those two right, right there. I mean, if that happens, that, that could really change the entire that that entire position. Yeah, it will be interesting with running back after Marquis step though, mm-hmm. like Marvin Scott, Ronald Tompkins, Gabe Irving, Sevion, um, Morrison. Yeah. You go down the line. I mean, there's a lot of material there, and just who's who, who's going to take it? Who's going to step up and claim that number two spot? And something I said on the chat this week was I felt like a lot of those guys weren't prepared to ever be the guy because Dedrick Mills was here. Maurice Washington was here. They always have had perceived guys they wanted to be the guy where those younger guys really never got the reps. And mm-hmm. what will happen if some of these younger guys get more of those reps? Well, and last year, too, it seemed like every one of them missed at least a week or some, or more with injuries or for whatever reason. They got, they got written out of the game plan and – Marvin Scott had a false positive. Yeah, and then Sevian didn't play all year. I mean, just then just he crazy. tested positive. Yeah, and then you know Ronald Tompkins starts out as your number two, and then he completely disappears because of injury. So like, you know, it's one of those deals where they just haven't had a solidified number two. It's been this revolving door of guys that get in spot time here and there every other couple weeks, and that's not going to get anybody better. So you would hope that maybe while they have a lot of options, eventually that rotation gets pared down to, you know two or three known commodities with presumably step and then a couple more guys that are going to be your week in week out backups. Yeah, that, that's a weird thing about the running back position is I mean if you if you came into this situation and just looked at the stats and didn't know anything about Nebraska football, you'd think that that position was just completely like a barren wasteland. There's no talent at all in that room, but I think there's a lot of talent in that room. It's just one thing after another prevented those guys from really being, you know, having an opportunity to see the field a whole lot. So, uh, or on a consistent basis. So, um, yeah, I think that's a that is obviously a position group that I mean, if you just have one guy really take the reins and and rise to the occasion, um, you know, you could really uh, increase the the production level. We had a scheduling question. Why does it feel like Nebraska compared to their Big Ten West counterparts always gets screwed as far as <laughs> getting like they never get like the easier crossovers but it's getting to the point guys there really aren't easy crossovers I mean, yeah. yeah i mean Indi- when indiana's good now i mean like <laughs> they like, got rutgers last year and they beat them they got maryland the year before they beat them but here's the reality nebraska had a six-year scheduling series with ohio state this is the sixth year of that series so we probably won't see ohio state on a nebraska schedule for a while after the six-year matrix is done, but then they start a new series with Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, so 
Here's the deal, though. I mean, like, a lot of it is because money. it's Nebraska, yeah. too, and it's money. And Nebraska fans are going to watch those games, and they want more viewers on their prime games. And so Nebraska-Maryland, you know, that doesn't do so much. But Nebraska-Michigan, Nebraska-Ohio State, I mean, that's that's a regardless of what Nebraska has been over the last decade, that is a national game that people are going to watch. And so that's that's your answer. That's why Nebraska always gets the perceived hard schedule is because people want to are going to watch them and there's going to generate revenue for the for the conference. Yeah, I know the the easy knee jerk reaction is that well, the Big Ten wants to just keep sticking it to us. No, they want to milk Nebraska for all their yeah, work. I mean. No, I mean that may be, but that's not objective number one. Objective number one is to to line your pockets with money, and Nebraska fans are very good at, at helping the Big Ten do that. So, I mean, and when you pair it up with another fan base that's also very good at, at doing that and, and supports their program, you've got uh, you got the makings to to you know make a lot of money. Nebraska basketball, in a lot of ways, they're they're like Indiana basketball right now. I mean. Like Indiana basketball has Nebraska a, football. Nebraska football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean, as far as the comparison, I mean, a, a blue blood that hasn't really delivered like a blue blood, but they still deliver the ratings mm-hmm. like a blue blood. And they have a fan base that still demands championship performance, even though they haven't tasted championship performance in a long, long time. And I mean, yeah, there's a lot of comparisons to be made for that. And uh, Indiana basketball, I mean, they've been relatively good at times, but haven't been nearly what that fan base wants it to be. And uh, that's very much the case here at Nebraska. This is an evolving conversation, guys, on this next question. Do you guys still believe Nebraska will pursue a transfer quarterback? And, you know, obviously the wait-and-see approach is going to be there through the spring. I, I still lean towards that they will bring in another quarterback unless Logan Smothers just comes out there and looks unbelievable this spring. And they're like, you know what? If Adrian goes down, we want to see Logan Smothers play. Yeah, I mean, that that's the only X factor in my opinion. And also, too, I think they want to let it play out a little bit and see what else is there on the transfer market because, I mean, obviously the, the junior college season is, is still yet to be played and uh, the, there's going to be more additions to the D1 transfer market after spring ball and guys kind of see their place on the depth chart going into the summer. And, uh, I mean, so I think that waiting not only to see what you have with Smothers but also what other potential options could be available in a couple months is definitely the right move for Nebraska. And I, I agree with you. I think in time they will add to that room with a, a more veteran piece of that quarterback mix. Yeah, they're they're at least going to be pursuing some some transfer quarterbacks, whether that's from the FBS level or you know junior college or whatever. But I, I think that uh, it makes sense to to be able to. Um, I mean, you can't get them on campus right now anyway, so it makes sense to take your time and to see what's in the portal and, and to, to see what you have, too, out of Logan Smothers. I mean, you weren't really able to, to you know, get a great feel for, for what he could do last year. He was, you know, when he got here, he was just fresh off of an injury that he suffered the last high school game of his career. And, um, you know, and, and obviously you want to you see what Adrian's got and if he's, if he's been able to improve or whatever. But I think that, uh, you know, the Nebraska is playing it the right way, but they're definitely going to pursue some quarterbacks, I'm sure of it. Another final question here, uh, interesting question. If graduate assistant coaches can do more than analysts, why not just make Bill Bush a graduate assistant? And, you know, there was a time where that could happen. But the NCAA, um, and Nate, you could probably speak on this, uh, put in a rule where – you can't be more than like seven years removed, I believe, from being a student. Um, but there was a time when like Dan McLaughlin came back as yeah. a grad assistant and he was like a 20 some year high school coach in high school football in Nebraska. And uh, who else was a graduate assistant? Um, well, I'm drawing a blank on his Jimmy name. Burrow. Well, Jimmy Burrow was. And, and, I mean, and so was. Uh, He's Frank's offensive coordinator. Why am I drawing? Tim Albin? Yeah, Tim Albin was a – and he was the head coach. Of an at, NAIA college. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, you, you, that's how it used to be, though. I mean, you if you were going to be straight out of, you know, right right out of um, your, your collegiate playing career or whatever and getting into coaching, it was going to be really hard for you to, to get a graduate assistant job because you had – you had some grizzled old veterans that were, you know, kind of brought more to the table. So, um, you know, that – but that rule was for that. And it was also to keep, you know, Alabama from having Butch Jones as as a GA or whatever. So – And you, uh, you have to take a class, like, legitimately, Yeah, right? you have to go to school. You, you have to you have to do homework. I mean, I, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I'd go into the GA office late at night when I worked at Nebraska – 
and they'd be sweating bullets trying to get their trying to get their assignments done their on, thesis uh, paper yeah <laughs> for seriously and and they've got on one screen they had their schoolwork and then on the other screen they were breaking down you know punt coverage uh, from whoever so it was uh it was interesting to, Vince Mara was the last that. old GA I think yeah because he wasn't an analyst, he was a GA. Yeah, he was a GA. Just picturing Vince Morrow doing like a, a book report, like a paper for some English class or something like that. I mean, Vince Morrow <laughs> went Vince from Vince Morrow paying someone else to do that book report. <laughs> he he went from coaching like at the Omaha Nighthawks to becoming a GA. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a loophole that you know Nebraska was smart to take advantage of. It's just it's like the new analysts now. You can bring in. But you can pay analysts yeah. more money. You yeah. couldn't you couldn't pay GAs a salary, right? It was a stipend, no, correct? It was a stipend, yeah. I mean, they were essentially. I mean, it was like they were a student athlete, too. I mean, they got a stipend, um, you know, and where they would make their money at the time was from summer camps. And so speaking events and from speaking events. So the GAs always had speaking events, um, you know, basically every week during the season for sure. And then, you know, during during summer camps, you know, they ran the camp store and they got all the money. Pizza sales, Gatorade sales. Pizza sales, Gatorade sales, yeah. And Hmm. and then they would split some of that, you know, other people would get a cut that helped out. But that's how they that's how they made their money. And you know, and then of course they'd get a a camp share, um, you know, from from everything that that brought in. But camps are different now and obviously the rules are different now. Camps are cheap now too. There's no money in camps like it used to be. Camps are fifty bucks a kid. It used to be four or five hundred bucks a kid. Yeah, it used to be a three day event and it was at least it was at least 450 bucks and then you had you had rentals you know if you didn't bring your own pads it was 50 bucks for for a set of pads for the three days and and on down the line I mean it was it was very expensive um you know and for a lot of those kids it was a fantasy camp they they had no business I mean it wasn't a recruiting deal um yeah they they probably wanted to get better for their own high school team but it, they were they, they were never going to play at the next level but you know, and then prices went up with housing and, and recruiting changed everything where the, you know, kids wanted, they didn't want to spend three days at one place. They wanted to one day, they wanted to see three schools in three days. And so everything changed. Yeah. It's interesting to follow that. And then the speaking and all the other extra revenue streams for coaches changed too. Um, and Sean, I kind of shut all that down yeah. um, where the fringe benefits that those guys used to get they don't get all that stuff anymore because it's, it's, it's a little bit more tightened up now uh, compliance wise, but good discussion on the old GA days when 55 year old GAs were working at Nebraska, but we come back, we'll close the show with recruiting. You're listening here to Husker line show. This is HuskerOnline.com, Your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker online show. The segment of the show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. Uh, come on out to Tanner's on 30th and Yankee Hill. Plenty of Nebraska basketball action, college uh, basketball action all weekend long. Um, place has been busy, probably busier than any bar in Lincoln right now. Um, restrictions have loosened even more, so it's a, it's a great, safe place to go. Um, watch your sports, have beer, wings, pizza, everything in Tanner's on 30th and Yankee Hill. Nate. Um, I wanted to get right away to in-state recruiting, and we, we kind of teased on this, but we've seen action over the years in Nebraska and, and recruiting, but I think in the last year, it it feels like the floodgates have opened where you've got like legitimate Power 5 teams offering guys in Columbus, Nebraska now. And obviously Omaha kids have always received some interest, um, but it's been fascinating to see 23s like Maverick Noonan, Danny Noonan's kid in Elkhorn, Ernest Hausman in Columbus, a 22, getting a Michigan offer this week. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all the offers that the big four in Omaha are getting right now for 22. Um, and it's it's kind of a gut punch for Nebraska right now that, you know, they've got their work cut out for them on what's supposed to be like the base of their normal recruiting classes. Yeah, I mean, typically the in-state guys are – the ones that, yeah, I mean, you've got to recruit them, obviously. You've got to work for everything that you get in recruiting. But, you know, typically those are the guys you can kind of count on or, 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 you know, at least look at look at things and assess the situation and be like, okay, well, um, you know, these three, four, five guys. This are, is the foundation. Yeah, this is going to be the foundation of the class. And, you know, and ideally they, they jump on board early and they're they're helping you, you know, to, to continue to build things. Well, 
mean, that's just that's not the case anymore. I mean, uh, and it's it's a I think it's there's a twofold deal here, two pronged situation where you've got the the talent in the state has obviously been on an upswing lately. Um, and Nebraska's program has has not been on an upswing. They've been on a downswing. And so and I think the combination of the two has really opened the floodgates you know, up where teams across the country feel like, hey, it, it's not going to be a complete waste of time if we go into Nebraska and offer these guys that, that we like. You know, there's a, there's a decent chance that, um, you know, that, that we could end up getting them. Or at worst, they're going to be interested and, and they could possibly, you know, take a visit on campus. And as we all know, anytime you know, a recruit takes a visit, there's a chance they end up committing to that school. So, um, I mean, it's it's a interesting situation um, and, and not one that I'm sure Scott Frost and the staff really, really like to see play out. Well, and the elephant in the room, Nate, is Nebraska hasn't been relevant in a long time. And, I mean, you think about a lot of these kids were, were you know, four or five years old and maybe Indomitian Sue was playing. I mean, that, that's like that's their historical reach of Nebraska football right now. Um, so – you know, it makes sense in uh, in a city like Omaha where, you know, it, it's diverse. There's a lot of people that move to Omaha now to work for jobs, um, for other situations. Um, it's not a slam dunk. You know, you don't have the kid that grew up with the Husker bedroom um, with posters of things. Now, Thomas Fedoni was yeah. that kid. Yeah, he grew he up with a he grew up with a Husker bedroom. He had posters of things in his room and followed Nebraska living in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Um, but, yeah, that that to. It's going to add a whole new challenge. There's no doubt. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, you you feel bad for uh, for a guy like Barrett Rude, kind of, because what what should be you know on paper the the easiest territory is probably the hardest now because not only do you have a, a ton of competition for some really good players, but I mean the pressure is immense to to keep these guys at home, and and if you are unable to do that. You are going to be scrutinized heavily, and and I think that um, you know that's that is uh, you know if if you if you look at Travis Fisher or, or whoever you know um, no one in the state is is going to demand that Travis Fisher is is signing five guys out of Florida every year, and you know they, they don't care, you know there's going to be years where he does, and there's going to be years where he gets one or two, but you know for Barrett Rude, you know the the pressure is on for him to keep these guys at home and. Um, and they've got their work cut out for them. You know, when you've got Miami that's coming in to Nebraska. Michigan. And Michigan and LSU and Arizona State. I mean, it's – I mean, these aren't these aren't just, you know, regional schools. It's not Iowa State, which they, they're also coming in. But it's – I mean, it's big-time programs from all across the country. Now, Iowa State has not signed a kid from Nebraska. I mean, I really can't think of – I mean, there was a run when McCarney was there where they got some good players like yeah. Stevie Hicks and yeah. um, John Davis, the receiver from uh, – and the, you know, but they haven't gotten Nebraska kids – uh, ben Col the Coleman kid from Beatrice walked on there, ended up playing there, but they have you know it's been a while, so I'll be curious. But yeah, you can typically link a reason why they're recruiting Nebraska. Like Northwestern recruits Nebraska because Todd McShane runs recruiting. He was a Mike Riley recruiting guy. Notre Dame keeps a foot in Nebraska because Aaron Carney from Nebraska, former Nebraska recruiting guy. Arizona State's got Sean Prater, an Omaha Central guy that played for Iowa. He kind of keeps a finger on the pulse in the city of Omaha now in, in recruiting. So there typically is a Ted Gilmore's now at Michigan State. Yep. Um, but they, I was talking to Jim Comproni. Michigan State's a position they, they recruit like the, the Riley staff, where position coaches only recruit their position, not area coaches. Hmm. So maybe Ted Gilmore has nothing to do with these offers um, at all with, with with the state of Nebraska, but Vince Merrow would come in here because of his ties. Yeah. And so usually you can direct, but now you're getting into like Miami. What are they doing up here? You yeah, know, we're and, Boston College. Yeah, and, I mean that's that is, is a that's an odd school to to I mean to come halfway across the country to offer Ernest Hausman. Nothing nothing against Ernest Hausman. I, I mean, he can certainly play at Boston College. But you can't but, find that guy in New Jersey. You can't yeah, find that guy. Yeah, in, that's the thing. And, and so, and that's why I say is these schools obviously feel like it's not a waste of their time to 
to offer a kid and to start building a relationship. Throw their line in the water and yes, just see what happens. Exactly. So, um, and, and the more teams that are going to do that, I think the, it entices other teams to, to kind of follow suit. It used to be, you know, if, if um, you know, no one else was really doing it, I think a lot of teams just stayed away and, and just automatically assumed that, well, Nebraska's going to get that kid, and if they don't offer that kid, then they obviously know something about him that, that is keeping them from offering him, so we're not even going to mess with him. Well, it's it's not like that anymore. And this staff, you know, you got to give them credit. They have offered earlier than than most, you know, the, the several staffs before them have. I think they've been they've been trying to, you know, um, you know, create better relationships across the state, some that, that may have been, um, you know, damaged or whatever however you want to put it over, over the over the years but um and they're being they're kind of getting ahead of things but uh, it's it's difficult when you've got other teams following suit or, or other teams trying to beat you to the punch on on some underclassmen too now two quick things i want to hit on nate number one nebraska made a quarterback offer this week um and then the other interesting uh thing matt lubick the offensive coordinator did a virtual visit with carson Hagerly from north dakota they've not offered him yet but you get the sense you know, he, he's almost kind of like a – I don't say they're treating him like an in-state guy, but when you're from a state that doesn't have an FBS program that's somewhat within driving distance from Nebraska, they're treating this kid like an in-state guy they're really close to offering. So those, to me, were probably the two other storylines of the week, a new QB offer and then this Carson Hagerly out of North Dakota, West Fargo High, um, appears to be very close to getting an offer. Yeah, and I think, you know, quarterback is obviously that that's the one position this time of year where everyone's kind of looking to it because you ideally you'd like to have your quarterback recruit wrapped up uh, sooner rather than later in the class and and um, you know there really hasn't been one or two guys to emerge like there typically is. You know, usually coming out of of signing day uh, there's a couple, you know, front runners where you can point to a couple guys that and say, well, those two are highly interested in Nebraska. Obviously, Nebraska is highly interested in them, and you can't really do that right now. But they have offered Connor Harrell uh, out of Alabama, Alabaster, Alabama. He helped, you know, he led them to a 14-0 record last year. One state beat all the powerhouses in Alabama: Hoover twice and Spain Park and. Uh, so on and so forth. I mean, they they pretty much beat everybody. So he's a very interesting player. He's got Tennessee, Louisville, uh, UCF, a handful of other schools. I think he's going to continue to get more offers, but he might be one of those guys that has emerged as a front runner for that position. And then Haggerly, you know, like you said, I think Nebraska kind of treating him like an in-state player, and and you don't conduct virtual visits with your OC with your offensive coordinator unless you're highly highly interested or on the verge of offering and so that might be one to keep an eye on yeah I think that hey I don't know this but I I feel like it's coming like and once I got wind that Nebraska you know was on him his followers just jumped like crazy Mm -hmm. Notre Dame and teams like that began following him Iowa State he picked up a Nevada offer at the next day after Nebraska's virtual so He's going to probably pick up. I know Josh Hemmelt said he'll start out as a five six three star. So I kind of look at him as like a version of a Seth Malcolm, you know, a guy that borders or close to Nebraska that's kind of a base recruit mm-hmm. that you want to build in your class. Yeah, the, those are the regional types of guys that I think you've got to get, especially – when we're still in this weird stage where you don't know when the dead period is going to end and, and you want to get guys that are, are you know closer to home or not too far away and, and, uh, you know, and kind of build your class with those guys first. All right, lots to keep up on. We'll have another in-state tour event. We had to reschedule because of the uh, 10 inches of snow we got over the weekend, but uh, we'll be at Warren Academy with uh, 15 of the top programs in the Omaha area and their prospects joining us. So we'll have plenty to talk about after next week. Uh, on the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.